to Harvest Australia Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening today. We pray this blesses you and encourages you. And if you want to get in touch with us or find out more about our ministry, please check out our website or social media. We pray you have a great day. Well, we're in for a real treat this morning. And uh, David and Narelle were the founding pastors of Dayspring Church in Sydney, a, a large, prominent church really in Australia. And uh, we obviously we had Aaron Williamson here this week on our Wednesday night for our Young Adults Night, which was just a fantastic night. And um, uh, we, we, it was great to be able to get to know their heart and just see uh, David and Narelle recently handed over to to Aaron and his wife, and for us, it's just been great to be able to see that transition and and get to know both generations. and uh, And David was here last last year, roughly around the same time. Many people were blessed, and uh, and now they're living mainly in the U.S. and and traveling around and speaking. So it's it's such a privilege in this house to be able to host guys like this and sit under their teaching and leadership and receive some of their anointing. And we know you guys are hungry for that. And, uh, and so I want to welcome David up, and why don't you do that with me? Give him a round of applause as he comes this morning. So good to be back with you guys. Uh, you're one of my favourite churches. I've got to get in good with the pastor. But it is really good to be here. I think we're, we're cut for a similar mission. Yeah. We uh, are trying to go after the same kinds of things. Stay. <laughs> we still haven't arrived yet, unless you know of a few who already have, in which case I'd like to meet them. <laughs> I don't wake up in the morning thinking, hmm, I wonder what a Baptist looks like. I should change that for you. I wonder what a harvester looks like, and I want to be one. I wonder what a day springer looks like, or, or even, I wonder what a Christian looks like. Actually, if we're asking those sorts of questions, we're looking in the wrong place, because we're already looking at a downscale of what the model is. So the only way we can come change, someone said this, is by looking and seeing Jesus. So uh, then we've got, got the model. So if we're all looking at Jesus, we're all in the same camp, right? So that part's good. I was intrigued this morning, and I actually like it. Uh, have, going to church where the specialty is coffee. Uh, I've got vested interest in that. Not only does it taste good, but it keeps the audience awake. So... Uh, we always had that, and when we first started our church, we, we did it with coffee tables right through the whole place, and uh, we don't do that now, and I regret that, because uh, it made for automatic connection and relationship, which is what we do well. Across a table, we easily are hospitable and have a heart to do that when we're, we're sharing something across a table, which is why we had it in the first place, until there are too many to fit at tables. And, uh, but I still regret that. And uh, I just sort of wondered also this morning, quirky me, uh, you know, early Christian church meets and they have their version of Jerusalem coffee. And, uh, you know, 
So here's your, here's your coffee, and back in the early days, you said, how would you like that, you know, with persecution? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, you know, we, we laugh a little, uh, but it's such a privilege to be in a place where we have the freedom to laugh a little at something like that, because there are lots of places where it's no laughing matter. And... Uh, I hope it stays that way for here and we should never take our kingdom privileges for granted. So if we are ploughing into the kingdom, um, let's just do that and do it with uh, abandon. So uh, I think it was Francis Chan recently just mentioned, he said, when I read Acts, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, I definitely know I'm not radical enough. There's something about that early church ethos, and uh, Gordon Fee says it well. He says, probably the thing we miss most about that early church is, is their eschatology, using a theological word to describe the imminence of what they believed the end was, and they were in it. Whereas we're 2,000 years plus to sort of luxuriate in, maybe it's coming later. And we miss that sense of immediacy and yeah. imminence. And, uh, you know, Jesus could come tonight. And in the back of my mind, I hope not because I'm not sure I'm ready. Um, which is, isn't the way to live in uh, eschatological reality, is it? You know, I just, I can't wait for Jesus to come. I used to worry about it as a boy, hoping that I'd done all the right things and enough and forgiven or thought about and confessed all the sins. And I thought, at, at 12, surely uh, there must be a finite number of sins I can go through. And, uh, but the worry was still there. And uh, you're never quite sure. Um, whereas I don't worry about that at all now. And haven't for years. And I'm not being cavalier about, you know, looking to Jesus, doing the right things. Uh, but I know when I do look to him, um, and my faith is in him, he's, he's, he's got everything else squared away. That's what faith is about. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, as Hebrews 11 says. And it's amazing how, how people still have a checklist and usually of law stuff to do uh, when Paul explicitly says the law is not based on faith. So how can we please him by doing bits of it? Because it's not a faith. Only faith pleases him. Does that make sense? And uh, having said, you know, uh, we need to look to Jesus, uh, there's two two issues that the enemy concentrates on, and uh, he does it in two ways. One, as 2 Corinthians 4 speaks about, um, he has veiled the gospel to the unbelievers, and they cannot see it. And uh, so being able to... To see what the gospel really means takes a, a revelation and almost a divine, well, not almost, it is a divine intervention so the scales are peeled away and suddenly they see uh, because all of us know, you know, anyone who really sees Jesus won't say no to him. Seriously. And, uh, you know, we need to be somewhat boastful about, about Jesus but, but also have expectancy that... Um, his name, even as we think it, has the ability to tear down strongholds. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? You know, we 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 try to to do we try to do too much of God's business when actually He wants us to walk in behind Him, and He carves up the way. So there's one blindness. The second blindness, Christians are more familiar with, except they're blind. Second Corinthians three says, "Whenever the law is read, a veil covers hearts, and their minds become stupid, dull." It always appalls me when someone says, "Grace, which is by faith you are saved," needs to be balanced by law, which means let's have this bright light of Jesus balanced by the darkness of thick heads and veiled hearts. Doesn't quite make sense, does it? So there's a radical step of faith that we all need to make, that we absolutely trust Jesus, that he accomplishes everything and has the moment we say yes to him, I want you as Lord. And, uh, you know, really one look to him, just like in the, in the wilderness, and New Testament picks this up, you know, one look at the serpent that Moses raised healed him. So when we fall, one look at Jesus gets us back up on our feet again. And living by that kind of faith is, is just brilliantly awesome. Amen? Amen? Last time I was here, I talked about blessing, right? For those of you here and have perfect memories. We reached out and we, we spent a few moments blessing each other. We did that this morning with the mums in the, in the house. Bless you, mothers. And I've been exploring this whole area of blessing, and I won't be teaching on it this morning because I did it last time. But I've been exploring in the sense of uh, seeing how atmospheres change, particularly uh, as, we, as we move into healing. And I've just seen some sort of radical things happen when, when we end up doing that. Uh, bless each other, it creates an environment and, and I think part of the reason is, is as we use the name of Jesus with authority, and that authority doesn't mean you're loud or a professional. In fact, you know, spare us from that sort of stuff. Um, just in the name of Jesus, I bless you with health and strength and life. Yeah. Don't tell me that you haven't exerted and extended the kingdom in reality when you say that. Because Jesus says he'll come good as we use his name, Correct. Yes, so some are vaguely tentative, and uh, <laughs> and really, yeah, I I I think the acts of the apostles were good Aussies because they had a go. Yeah. And it's true. I really enjoy hearing Australian, and uh, it's good. No translation required, and uh, it is it is fantastic, and um, so blessing each other with with. Having a go. And I found that more healings happen when you have a go than not. I used to be somewhat cautious. I'd, I'd be asking God to bring me revelation to pick out the ones that he had a will to heal because that would make it more efficient. You know, I wouldn't have to go through the ones that wouldn't be healed. So I wouldn't either blame myself or God or the individual. Because they're your options if you follow that track. Don't, by the way. 
But then I discovered it is God's will to heal, otherwise he wouldn't send us to go do it. You know, why in one breath would he say, go uh, lay hands on sick people, intending all along that only some and very few would be? Now, that's a, a commission for frustration. Yet so many people withdraw from actually being bold about healing because in their minds not everybody gets healed. Let's just get over that. The best answer for that, and I think I said this last time, is I don't know. That's more honest, and it doesn't blame anyone. And the more we do that, the more people get healed. Seriously. I was in Fiji a couple of Sundays ago, and uh, speaking in a first time, actually, in a, in a fairly large uh, Assemblies of God church, um, the church sat about 6,000 people, so it's a massive place. And the stage area was sort of built up on high. You, you sort of walked halfway to heaven and <laughs> gave, your, gave your message um, from on high. And, uh, of course, it has more, more authority when you're on high. And uh, that's what it seemed like. And, uh, but there would have been about... Uh, there are church that had rapidly grown, and uh, they're the largest church of any description in the western area uh, of Fiji, the Latoka area. And um, they'd grown to about 6,000 people, and then the pastor died. And he was a, obviously a charismatic leader and had grown the church to a fairly rapid size. Um, and, uh, and then the new pastor came in, was more of a conservative type, nice guy, but stodgy. Shh, I didn't say that. And, uh, and the church declined down to about 800. Um, they used to describe it this way. We used to have 30 buses to 60 buses bringing people in. Now we have one. But now they've got 30 buses again, which is, which is great. And there's a new pastor in town. And... Uh, he translated for me, and I could have let him go for it. He just was fantastic and enthusiastic and loud and articulate in Fijian, because I knew all about that, didn't I? And uh, actually, I did know some of his stuff, and his translation of some technical um, theological stuff in regards to grace uh, was fantastic. For example, grace in Fijian is the word laloma. For those of you who know Fijian, it means love. The word for... Mercy in Fijian is loloma. <laughs> the word for favour in Fijian is loloma. <laughs> so when you're wanting to say, you know, grace is the empowering presence of God enabling us to do in the kingdom what Jesus did, words to that effect, loloma doesn't quite cut it, even though it does include that. And so I was trying to explain all this, and I heard what he was saying, and I do speak some Fijian, and his language was fantastic, you know, to get the kaukaua nikolo uh, in there, which is the power of God, and uh, into, the, into the message. And we carry with us that power of God. So I was speaking to them about that because it was advertised I was going to speak on grace, at least uh, as they were announcing me. And uh, so I did a slight shift in what I was going to do and, and concentrated on that but at the end um, 
led the church in, in just a brief overview of, of blessing each other and, and, and knew there was a good response in the place because they were vigorously doing amens and clapping and those kinds of things as Fijians do. And uh, so will you stand up and bless each other and gave them instructions and away they went. And there was such a buzz in the place as they do that, did that. And you could sense that the, the whole congregation moved from a, a passive, although it's very hard to be passive in a Fijian church, um, so they moved from this sort of passive, I'm, I'm listening to even, you know, powerful preaching from their pastor, um, into being engaged and active. And they said, you know, we only have 15 minutes left. So told them about the places that had spontaneous healing, 100%, after we'd blessed each other and asked for people who needed healing to stand. And I think I referenced that last time I was here. So, so we're going to do the same. Hands up those, because they're all standing, hands up those who, who need healing, you know, for pain in the head, pain in the body, pain in the joints, pain in the back, you know, anything that you want healing for, please raise your hands. And uh, I must confess, I, because I like to do healing with, you know, people raising their hands and those who haven't raised their hands become part of the ministry team. It looked like the entire congregation raised their hands. <laughs> which destroyed my ministry team. So I'm thinking, how are we going to work this out? You know, and there were some of my own team sitting in the front there, and I said, you guys are going to be busy. Um, and there were a few who said, just those of you who don't need healing, go to someone with their hands up, and, and, and then we'll broadcast, pray, everything else. So they quickly did that. So I prayed for those with their hands up and and in the name of Jesus, I bless you with, with healing and command healing in Jesus' name, etc., etc. Not much longer than that. Um, and then I ask, so how many of you now, just check yourselves out, are healed? And if you are, wave your hands. And it seemed like the entire audience raised their, were waving their hands. And I was absolutely sure they hadn't heard me right. So I asked again, I said, I just want those who still need prayer for healing to raise their hands. Nobody did for the first few seconds, and then four people raised their hands. So I said, all right, let's, let's, let's pray for you guys. In the name of Jesus, we just speak healing into, into you. And those of you who go and minister there, just attend to ask them what the problem is, pray into it, etc. And then a couple of minutes later, I said, you know, all right, um, how many have been healed? Those four were waving their hands. Wow. Everybody else was waving their hands. Um, wow. I, I guessed about 300 people got healed. Wow. Uh, my team says no way, because more than half the audience got healed. Wow. Wow. So between five and 600 got healed. Wow. All in the space of about five minutes, 10 minutes. Wow. All to say we live in an outstanding time right now. But that is a, a comment of reminder. We've always been living in an outstanding time. We haven't recognised it. And we always practise what we recognise. So if we're living in a, an outstanding time in spirit where we see a shift from those things that used to be arduous, because I remember back in, in early days, you know, when we first planted the church and we always had a heart for healing and badly wanted to do that and, 
uh, I was part of the Vineyard Movement at that time. Major reason was their emphasis on signs and wonders and healing. Uh, with John Wimber, we'd do these things and we'd we'd hear you know great stories of healing and see them happen. But we also found that there was quite a waning of of that over the period of time. Don't don't ask me why that is, except I know in my own theology, and it was a prevalent theology at the time, was not all the kingdom is here yet. <clears throat> And there's a truth to that. And that's why we don't see all the healing, because when all the kingdom is here, we will all we'll see everybody healed. Okay, that stands to reason. But I found that leaning into that theology by way of explanation also perpetuated the problem. So when we have a theological excuse for why something isn't happening, we live in the isn't happening. Does that make sense? So we need to shift our theology into into allowing God to be God, because he can do that rather well. <laughs> allowing the spirit to move, and the only way he moves is in through us, and he loves when we are together to be even more spontaneous and powerful when we are together together than just when we're individuals. That's why getting together like that is very encouraging. Not just so you hear words of encouragement, even though you should, and you should, when you come into church, expect a blessing. Not just from someone who speaks or the worship or other things that happen, but there's a a powerful engagement because we are the emissaries of Jesus, as he said to those that he sent out. He says, if they reject you, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Which means they were Jesus, as it were, travelling around, visiting people, announcing the kingdom of heaven and saying, you know, bring out your sick. And in all the commissions that that Jesus gave, um, and I'll, I'll lean into saying even the Matthew 28 one, while it doesn't explicitly mention healing, all the others mention healing. When he sent out the 12, I want you to go out and announce the kingdom and I want you to heal the sick, cast out demons and preach the good news. So very specific in his commissioning announcements to them was this, I want you to go out and heal. When he sends out the 70, he does exactly the same thing. And they come back rejoicing that, well, not only did we see people heal, but we actually saw demons submit. Jesus said, I saw the greatest warfare there was. The demon's boss shot down like lightning. That's great warfare, by the way. Heal the sick, announce the kingdom of heaven, preach the gospel, and Satan gets his legs cut off. Seriously. So don't get seduced into esoteric stuff when we haven't got the basic stuff in place. So I'm more intent going out, the kingdom of heaven is here. So I've changed my theology from, you know, not all the kingdom is here yet, so I hope I can navigate around where it's at and not. Um, to saying, wherever I am, the kingdom's going to be. Because I have the presence of Jesus within me, the Spirit of God lives within me, so wherever I put my feet, there's the kingdom. And the same for you. So wherever you move, wherever you go to, the kingdom of heaven is right there, and the commission that Jesus gave is the commission that says, go and preach good news, and the good news is he solves everything by you believing in him and to prove that he will heal the sick and set you free from demonic bondage and you will live a new life of exuberance in the kingdom. Does that make sense? 
Now, I use the word exuberance because more often than not, if you come from a somewhat more evangelical traditional background, exuberance is to be very contained. <laughs> I'm exuberant. <laughs> On the inside, you've got to have discernment. So you've got to have a spiritual gift to figure out my exuberance. Yet for those of you on the right side of the game last night, would be exuberant. Yeah. All right? You celebrated. You, were, you allowed yourself a little bit of enjoyment. <laughs> Gloating, even, about what happened. Don't you think Christians need to have a little bit of exuberance yes. and a twinkle in their eye that someone says, what have you got I want? Yes. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus' commissionings... In Mark, you know, these signs shall follow all the believers and there's a list of signs and, you know, including drinking poison and et cetera, et cetera. Why would, you know, it's interesting people have a religion about snakes, but they don't have one about drinking poison. <laughs> just, just a thought. But heal the sick. You 12, go out. Heal the sick. You 70, you know, amongst the other things, the kingdom of God is here. And to prove that, the sick are healed. And so when Jesus sends, uh, sort of gives the final commission before he leaves in Matthew 28, and we're all very familiar with that. And in actual fact, I think we specialise really well and do reasonably well, most of the time, on the first part, teaching them, evangelising. We don't do so well on teaching them to do all the things that I have commanded. We bring in all sorts of other commands. But keep in mind when Jesus sent his people out on a commission, heal the sick, cast out demons, announce the kingdom of God is here, preach the good news. You 70, heal the sick, announce the kingdom of God is here, etc., etc. So teaching them all I have commanded you should also include heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the good news, right? So all that is part of the commission. So we rightfully in our day and age need to be able to say this is part of our enthusiastic obedience. Now not everybody I pray for gets healed. And there is the temptation... Uh, shrink back in case it doesn't work. But I'm seeing more and more people healed, so there's more an enthusiasm to say, let's have a go, because the more we have a go, the more we see people healed. So we'll do that today, and there'll be people healed today. Seriously. As long as you're prepared to have a go. Last week I was, I was in a Baptist church, and the pastor is very, very keen to move the whole church into the area of the spirit, and they're doing really well. And I love working with uh, people who do that. I love working with others who are, you know, uh, virtually sky pilots for the spirit. You know, it's, it's good, um, <clears throat> and I like to bring balance to both. And uh, it's amazing how we can have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't translate into doing what he commanded yeah, one, one lady was sitting in the choir behind me in Fiji and uh, I haven't forgotten the Baptists. I'll come back to them in a moment. <laughs> My wife calls them rabbit trails, but that was also another one. 
this girl was up the back and uh, I found out from another person who was working with us at the, at the school I was teaching at. And uh, she said she was there and her head was in her, in her hands and, and suffering a really bad headache and had it all morning. And, and so healing time came. She said, you know, really, I was sceptical because more often than not, it doesn't work, which probably is worth exploring. But she said, as prayer was done, and keeping in mind my back was to the choir, so I was unaware of this happening, that she had someone with her to lay hands on her, and the headache instantly left. And she was so surprised. And it stayed gone, which is also good. At the Baptist church last Sunday morning, spoke and then I didn't do sort of broadcast healing uh, other than invite those who wanted to come up the front at the end and we'd, we'd specifically pray. This little Chinese, just little Chinese lady came and she, her hands were, were, were shaking and, and she was a diminutive, nice lady and, and she was fragile looking and her arms and hands shook and she said, my, my arms are so weak and they shake. I think there's something wrong with my back. And I said, all right, let's just, let's just pray for your back. And I pray for her back. Absolutely nothing happened. And she was about to nod and say thank you and leave. And I said, no, don't leave. So we'll, we'll pray again. So I found so many times where I'll pray three or four more times or up to 19 times on one occasion. And finally healing came. So if you're prepared to hang in with me, I'll hang in with you. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> by the way, on that one, uh, you can only do 19 times if your prayers are short. <laughs> Hint, clue. And you can get through it much faster if you keep your prayers short anyway. Another point on that is the longer you pray, the more you think you did the healing. And it gets boring. <laughs> the shorter you pray, the more you realize it must have been God. Because <laughs> I didn't put enough effort into that. And uh, so, and <clears throat> I'm joking just a little bit, but only a little bit because there's a great deal of truth in that. Because a command is a command. In the name of Jesus, I speak to that back and I command healing. Now, would you mind checking your back out? Now, there's not enough effort to think that you contributed to that. But every opportunity to go, for God to do something. And asking them to check it out is actually mobilizing their faith to act on the command of healing. Does that make sense? I'm teaching you. So I asked this little lady, I said, would you mind just checking her back? Oh, and she, basically the hands were the problem, so she didn't bother checking her back at all. No, nothing, nothing's changed. So I spoke to her about praying again, prayed again, nothing happened. She said, my hands are still the same, and I got the clue. It's her hands and arms I needed to pray for, not her back. So all right, let's just, just give me your hands. So in the name of Jesus, I speak into these these hands, I command the nerves to be bright. The, I command the muscles to, re, 
Return to order and I command strength to come into the hands. Nothing. In the past, I'd say, bless you, walk on. But now I said, let's have another go. Can I have your hands again? I prayed again. She says, ooh, that's a little bit better. I said, let's take that and thank Jesus for the little bit better and let's build on it. So let's pray again. She looked up to me and tears started coming down her face. She says, I'm normal. It's all normal. I love that. I love that. We finished praying for several people. They all got healed that morning. And Narelle was also doing ministry and they got healed. And we're about to leave the pastor and us and go and have lunch together. And this guy comes rushing in and speaks to the pastor. And the pastor says, oh, would you mind speaking to Hans? So Hans speaks to me. So I'm Dutch. And he had the Dutch. And I've been Dutch reform. And uh, I have... I have significant issues with my back but I was on my way home and, uh, and God spoke to me, oh, no, I'll come to that in a moment and, uh, and he began to speak about well you know I am willing if God is using this as a means of teaching me and guiding me I am willing, that's, that's okay with me he gave me this sort of usual evangelical spiel about how God sends stuff and if we're willing we can learn something by it so I said so uh, you do the same for your kids? He said, no. So why do you think God would do it? Send you pain, cripple you to help you grow in grace. It's nonsense. God doesn't send that, by the way. And that's one of those things that we just need to put a bullet through. He wouldn't tell us to go and heal the sick. Oh, except for those that I'm teaching a lesson to. Except for those who need to grow in grace a little bit more, uh, but I'm not going to tell you which because I'm going to make it confusing for you (laughs) and for them. So he said, you know this nonsense. He said, he kind of winced a bit. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, I was on my way home and and I was, he was bolting actually. And God says, so you're too proud to go back and get prayer? The moment he said that, I thought, this is appointment time. Mm-hmm. He came back. Wow. Yeah. So, all right. I laid my hands on his lower back area, and in the name of Jesus, I just command healing right through that. Where's that effect? I said, all right, would you mind checking yourself out? Oh, he said, thank you. And he left, <laughs> flapping his hands because he could. <laughs> It's fun doing this stuff. All right, so what have we learned so far? Well, lots of little bits on the way through. Healing is in the Gospel Commission. None of us have any equivocation that the Gospel Commission is relevant to us today. For the most part, we are all agreed that healing didn't die out with the apostles. That is a most iniquitous piece of theology. It's crippled the church for centuries. It's a doctrine of demons. Bible doesn't speak that, so how come it's touted loudly from certain pulpits? Well, less so these days, fortunately. God didn't sort of, as it were, launch the church into some sort of orbit 
So we, we sit there and because the apostolic gifting sort of launched us and now because we have the Bible, which ironically is a record of how God wants the church to function. So if the record of how the church needs to function got the church to where the church was, why is it now that we don't do that anymore because we're in some sort of actually boring orbit? When we have a commission to take the earth, we have a commission to extend the kingdom. Not only are we to announce good news, part of the good news is the power of God is manifest here in every believer. And, and really, when, when you start to do that and you, and you heal the sick, the person you're trying to teach the gospel to has to be impressed that you, an ordinary person like them, has been able to impart a gift of healing or deliverance or something else that, is, that reflects the power of God uh, as part of your testimony. Surely that's got to be part of the plan. And Paul says, definitely, because my intelligence won't do it, so I'm depending so much on the power of God. And Paul was a genius. Of all guys who could have used his genius, and he did, to teach, he could have just left it there and we would all still be impressed and all deeply evangelical. But he says, no, the power of God's got to do it because this thing isn't just information. It is a, it's transformation that comes because of the power of God. Does that make sense? Now, you as a church, and one of the reasons I... I, What time do you finish? It was one, wasn't it? Mother's Day, so I'll finish. At Mother's time. (laughs) Three o'clock, thank you. (laughs) One reason I like you, church, here at Harvest... I mean, I like your decor, I like all this, and Aaron, who came in last week, came back, oh, I really enjoyed it. And, by the way, he enjoyed meeting you guys and being with you. And I love the fact that we've got this younger generation coming in um, who, and this is important, I spoke to you about this last night and by way of encouragement. Uh, You're not not waiting for the oldies to die off. I'm here. That's half the sentence. So that you can take your place in the light of leadership. You are in that place if you will take that place. I'm saying the same thing to to Aaron, uh, as I call him now, he's my senior pastor. doesn't like me saying that, but uh, uh, he's my senior pastor. My job is to encourage him to be the best senior pastor I have. And this generation who um, also reflect a style, um, not that there's an anointing on styles, but any style can be anointed. Uh, You know, we're we're a particular stream uh, that you guys represent and reflect really well. Um, It's important that you see yourselves... uh, a little more than, or a lot more, a lot more than just a, a local uh, expression of church, which you are. But you are an expression of a local church who is going to impact Australia. Does that make sense? Now, if that stretches you just a little bit, I'm glad. Because <laughs> you need to be stretched. 
You need to be stretched into taking territory that you think is way beyond your capacity or ability to even conceive. That means God's going to do it. But you've got to step forward into that revelation so that you can. Does that make sense? So back here, younger leaders. Ryan, great to see you this morning, and it's good. And I could see and feel sort of maturity and growth coming into the place. But there is, since last year. Um, but I want to say there's more. I want to say there is, there is you know, and, and we don't have to be Pentecostal to do the stuff. I wake up in the morning and say, how do I, what does a Pentecostal look like? <laughs> I want to find out what a Christian looks like as it's defined in Scripture. And Christians seem to do most everything. I do pray often, other than I want to be like you, Jesus, I also want to be like Paul because I just like how he did stuff. Because he did stuff. And he taught stuff. And I want to be like that stuff. And I think, think the same is, same is for you guys. There's authority in you. Jesus looking out at the 70 that he sent out. Passion says 35 teams, which sort of localizes it even more. As he sent them out, they, you know, they were a diverse, diversely gifted group of people. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there were number twos, as in I'm following here, you better lead. So that reduces to 70, so 35 people and 35 followers, perhaps. But they all went out and saw the kingdom extended, saw demons submit, saw people healed, and they extended the kingdom and also got some pushback. And that's where Jesus says, they're not pushing you back, they're pushing me back. And so if we can divest ourselves of this personal hurt that comes from rejection, I think we can do a bit more, recognising they're not pushing us back, they're pushing Jesus back. Which is worse, but we don't own own the hurt of that. We rejoice in the fact that, well, Jesus was pushed back, so were we. And have a go. Because that's the commission. Have a go at everything. But don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Because you may have a, go, have a go for all you're worth, but without the Spirit, you're just going to make a lot of noise. And unfortunately, you'll feel gratified because there are people who will follow noise. Lots of followers who follow noise. But we're after followers of Jesus who not only know the gospel message, but also do what Jesus commanded us to do. Does, does that make sense? And, and that really is the heart of, of what I want to encourage you with.